You're listening to the e-commerce marketing show presented by Privy. What's up, everybody? Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. I'm excited for this one because my guest today is somebody who, through the power of the internet, we got connected in, in the Slack group like four years ago. And now he's actually gone on to have an amazing career in e-commerce. I don't know. I'm not cool enough in the e-commerce game yet, Wilson. So I don't know if it's e-commerce or D2C or CPG. I'm sure you can tell me about that later. But his name is Wilson Hung and he is the director of growth at Kettle and Fire. And he's also the co-founder of a really cool company called Get Arpu. Hey, Wilson. Hey, Lou. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's crazy how things changed from like four years ago when we first met you. Like we were early in our careers. and We were talking about like how to get traffic from Quora, I think, and all the experiments you were running on Quora and Reddit. Yeah, super small scale. (laughs) It was fun. Fun. Yeah, it was built to build. It's like the foundational stuff. Exactly. So many things I want to talk to you about today. But basically, you have a, a really great mindset for thinking about revenue growth. So this isn't going to be an episode on email copywriting or SMS strategy. Like I think the best stuff that we can get out of you is really how to grow an e-commerce brand. And so specifically here, we're focused on small and growing e-commerce brands. I think there's a lot to learn from you. But I want to give you like, I'd say for the next 30-ish minutes, you are my coach. So I want you to like go deep and give me advice. So I need to push you there. You're going to give me advice. So before we dive in though, I, I need to ask, how did you go from being a chemical engineer to now like creating this career for yourself in e-commerce and ultimately being a SaaS founder? Good question. So like my quick background, like I graduated with a chemical engineering degree and then I was like in the oil industry. So like I would work 10 days on, 10 days off, meaning like I would work 10 days straight, then they fly me out of the oil fans and they have 10 days off. So I used to 10 days off to like work on side projects. So like I had like a group dating company, start creating a blog. And at that point, that's when I found out about Brian Balfour. At the time, he was like the VP of growth at HubSpot. But that's when I really, truly like learned about what growth actually is. Same with finding about Andrew Chen. Literally read everything about his blog. Like I'm always into the numbers because I have an engineering background. So I really liked his like systematic and process driven approach. Then from there, it's just like trying to make a transition from engineering into like growth. And the way I did it is I just created my own side project. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to get on the first page of Reddit. I'm going to document their approach. And that acted as like my portfolio resume to get into SumoMe. That's when I met you. And I was like a software company and from SumoMe. That's when I met Justin. And after meeting Justin, that's how I joined Kettle and Fire. So it's been a long journey. I love it. You started with that you know, scientific approach to marketing, which I think is a great lesson. And we'll, we'll unpack some of that. But you leave SumoMe to go to Kettle and Fire that's a pretty unique transition, right? You're, you're going from marketing at a software company to going to kind of a brand new direct-to-consumer brand. Talk about like the stage that you joined at and what was the initial job? Like, What were you there to figure out? Because it didn't seem like they had established you know, growth and marketing at the time that you joined. Yeah. So when I joined, I was joined as employee number two just a few months after we started like our own direct-to-consumer. So a bit of background. Kettle on Fire, we started on a website called Thrive Market. So it's just like a wholesale business. So we didn't even have like our own website. We didn't have like our own presence. But after uh, Justin sold through like the first production runs, he's like, okay, we got something here. Let's create like a direct-to-consumer, like our own like branded website, like kettleonfire.com. 
that's when I joined. So like the first project that I worked on was mostly at the time is 2016. So like a hundred thousand people were searching bone broth every month. There was like no competition. So it's mostly just like an SEO, also paid search. Those are kind of like the initial projects that I worked on. When you joined, did you like identify those opportunities or they said, Hey, there's 116,000 searches for this a month. And we think this is opportunity or was that something that you found? At the time, like Justin reached out asking if I was interested. And then at first I wasn't, but then he started sharing some of the numbers. So then when I was like fully interested, I basically worked for free in a sense where like I did an audit, like my own audit did like a pretty much like a 30 day plan. I was like, all right, like here's the 30 day plan. Hire me at this rate as a freelancer. Let me execute the 30 day plan. And that 30 day plan initially was mostly SEO slash like affiliate building, like just building relationships with a blogger, just because like there was a lot of people that were writing about bone broth, for example. And at the time, a lot of people that were ranking on bone broth were just like bloggers with recipes. So like my goal was just to get mentions in those blog articles. So like we weren't ranking for bone broth at the time. It's just a lot of bloggers with like food recipes. So our goal was just to like partner with those bloggers. And then by getting mentions in their articles that were ranking for SEO, we indirectly get the organic traffic after people just like click through on it. Did you see good results from the SEO and kind of link building stuff that you did within the first 30 days? Like were you getting customers from that? Oh, for sure. The objective wasn't link building. It was more just to bring in referral traffic. So like even now, if you search bone broth on Google, like we have one placement, but then all the other bloggers, like of those like six bloggers that rank for the top result for bone broth, we have mentions in like four of the six. We have multiple mentions throughout the article. It's like, hey, bone broth takes like 24 hours to make. Like here are some of my favorite pre-made options. You can buy it from like Hell on Fire. Basically, that was a really good passive income stream. Like within the first two months, like right away, that was like, Organic revenue just from like two bloggers was like getting close to like 10 grand a month. So that 10 grand a month helped fund a lot of like the future experiments that we worked on. Do you have to offer anything or were you like, hey, I'm Wilson, here's a promo code? Like, did you have to give them any incentive? Yeah, there's two incentives. The first incentive was just like an affiliate commission, straight up, depending on how big they are, they use like a 20% commission. Then the second one, we created like a video recipe. At that time, like video recipes, like the tasty videos were like huge, right? So like a lot of bloggers wanted those type of videos. So like we created like a generic video, but then we would like co-brand it with the bloggers because these bloggers wanted some sort of like video asset on their blog. So then we would like invest the resources to build like a video recipe and then we just co-branded it and gave it to them. How did you do the videos? One of my buddies has like a video agency. We paid him a grand and he made it like a video recipe. I love it because these are the stories that I love, right? It's great that you've been successful and the brand is amazing now, but I love thinking about like the zero to one moment, which is like, okay, you started this content campaign. Like, hey, there's a huge opportunity in traffic. There's an opportunity with affiliates. We're testing it. We see it early. Ooh, they all want a video. Instead of saying like, I don't know how to do videos. Like I could find a friend that for a thousand bucks. You know, my guess is all in on this campaign, you probably spent the SEO stuff didn't cost anything. You probably spent less than five grand, two, three grand on the whole thing. Yeah, like... If you think about it, like it's always think about like what's in it for them, right? So like it's super easy. You can just type in HREF. You can have an estimate of how many organic traffic these bloggers have, right? So like you can just go to them and be like, hey, like you get X thousand, like 10,000 like visits to this article. You don't have any mentions. Let us send you some product. If you truly love our product, how about we like help you make some money from this article? It's basically passive income for you. And if you truly love our product, feel free to like add some links. This is what what we recommend. We can even make the article even better by like maybe we like co-brand a cookbook with you. So then you can like even grow your email subscribers from this article. And then like you can have like an email flow drip. Basically, like you act as like an agency to them in a way, like a consultant. I love that. I have two questions there. So number one is 
Do you think a lot of e-commerce brands today, like, hey, I have an idea, I'm going to go launch a company. Like, How often do you think that one of their first moves is to actually go into like SEO tool? And the tool that Wilson mentioned is called Hrefs, but it's A-H-R-E-F-S.com. I use it. Shout out to them. Shout out to you, Tim, who's the CMO over there. Do you think a lot of companies are thinking that? Like a lot of entrepreneurs who are getting into e-commerce are, are thinking that? Like, whoa, I'm going to go plug these terms into Hrefs and see what can come back from a content perspective. I just feel like at least for my early experience here, the narrative is all like Facebook and Instagram and email. Like I don't ever, I don't hear that much about content. It depends, right? It depends on the category. It depends on the business. Like for us, like bone broth was like a pretty niche product with like a high volume, relatively low competition play. So like in general, it depends. I'd say in 2016, a lot of people in the consumer product goods space or e-commerce was a lot more Compared to SaaS, like the capabilities of the marketing teams or growth teams in SaaS, it was like very infant. Whereas now you're starting to see companies that can survive, they're getting more advanced and like the skill gap between like what you see in the software world versus like, let's say physical goods is starting to be equal, I would say. But like back then, it was a lot of these marketers, traditional marketers and physical products, they wouldn't necessarily know too much about SEO or HRS or some of these tools. I've also seen you've written about this and tweeted about it a bunch, but it seems to be also though it's not as easy. You don't have those first mover advantages anymore, which is like there's so much competition in every industry. It's tough to be the only the opportunity you had was you were the really only company in the bone broth space that was focusing on this and creating content. It does feel to be like it is so much harder at least to find those brand new channels where there's just massive organic opportunity today, unless I'm reading that wrong. Like if we take a step back from like the tagging, like if you think about like a food business, right? Like traditionally before there was direct to consumer, the way you would grow a food business was would be like you start in a farmer's market and like you do good in a farmer's market, maybe you go to like a local mom and pop grocery store and eventually you, you work your way up to like a national chain like Whole Foods or you eventually go into Kroger's. The main difference now is like the main retailers, the wholesale retailers like Kroger's, Whole Foods, etc., they're still like important, right? So, like for food, ninety percent of the dollars still happen in like wholesale retail. So retail is definitely still king. The difference now, though, is like with direct and consumer, even Amazon, like you have this ability to do like hyper targeting, right? So like the way I see direct and consumer and Amazon, especially for food, is not necessarily a good channel for like scale. So like if you're thinking about crossing the chasm, if for those who read the book. Like DTC and Amazon are better for like getting the early adopters, the innovators. But then to get like the early majority, it's ultimately going to be grocery stores. So then where direct-to-consumer really fits in, and same with the products that you decide to launch, especially in food, it's not just like a generic, like, let's say you want to like launch potato chips. Like you don't just launch like a normal potato chip. There's no differentiation. Like what are these niche groups that you're going to leverage direct-to-consumer because like you have hyper-targeting? Like you're not going to just target people that like chips. However, for food especially, right, there's always going to be like niche diets, whether it's paleo, intermittent fasting, keto, and diets come and go, right? So like whether it's Atkins, like like a while back before it's paleo, now it's like keto, there's always going to be some like new diet. So then that's your opportunity for differentiation. Because if you think about food categories, foods always stay the same. You're always going to have cereal. You're always going to have bars. You're always going to have soups. The only thing that changes is going to be like, the way you really market it and the way you market it is going to be these niche diets. So then instead of just launching like chips, you're going to be launching like keto friendly chips. And then that's kind of like your beachhead that you take advantage with for direct to consumer. And a lot of times it could be searched because like a lot of people will be searching keto chips. And like at the time, if you're a first mover, there's not much competition. So then where direct to consumer comes in is whether right away you take like an SEO approach or paid search 
or even paid social, like with Facebook ads, but then that's kind of like your first beachhead. And then that's basically your early success that you need. But in the end, the ultimate goal is still to get into retail. But anyways, I just like rambled a lot there. (laughs) No, I love it. This is great. This is why I wanted to have you on. This is your, this is your opportunity to ramble. But I think you you have a good lesson and not just in, um, you know, customer acquisition strategy, but I also think just positioning your, your brand. It's always better to be any opportunity you can be, uh, any opportunity you can have to be more specific, which is having a niche, um, whether that's keto or whatever diet is the diet of the moment. I think that's the opportunity. And, and if you can build a marketing strategy around that, it's even better, right? As opposed to just saying, this is bone broth, right? You have an opportunity to say, hey, this is for people who care about, you know, their health and immune system and yada, yada, yada on down the line. Okay. Here's what I want to really talk to you about. I want to talk about email. I think, I think you have an email. I think you have a superpower in email in that you have seemed to uncover a lot of great stuff through emails that people are already sending. I guess you'd call them transactional emails, but you seem to have a really strong opinion. I mean, so much so that you went and built the whole company around it, which is your, your company called Arpu, get arpu.com. Nice uh, quick plug. Um, but you know, you, you, you've built a, you built a business around email and you've also seen some of this with the brands that you've worked with firsthand. So I want to talk to you about the opportunity of like, Hey, when it comes to email for a lot of people, they think I got to be a great copywriter. I got to learn how to do this, but you seem to have a bunch of playbooks around just using the emails that are already sending that you're already sending out, uh, transactional emails and, and really turning them into kind of money, money printing machines. Talk, talk me through some of your, um, your shipping confirmation, you know, shipping soon emails. Yeah, sure. So like the way I always try to like think about things, like when I'm starting off is like, you got exposure points on one end and then you got like the creative on one end. So like if you do an email campaign, like you're going to have to focus more on the creative side. Whereas you got some of these like recurring exposure points, whether it's like order confirmation emails, shipping notifications, or in the case for uh, subscribers, like recurring subscribers, is the upcoming order notifications. So, like I always try to think about things like, okay, where some of the recurring exposure points you just get like, um, I guess like business objectives in front of the consumer while being kind of like from a positive customer experience standpoint. And one of them is like, um, if you think about it, like upcoming order emails. So from a business objective, if you think about your recurring subscribers, like people that order for you from you on like a monthly basis, a lot of times these are kind of like your most valuable customers. But at the same time, like if we want to talk about the math, the average order value of each renewal ends up being the same, like the same. It's like flat because like they just monthly, it's just like a monthly recurring order. Average orders stay the same. Right in reality, the opportunity is because these are kind of like your most high intense customers. Is like ideally, you're starting to see average order values increase every time there's a renewal because like they're your most qualified, highest intent customers. So it's like, how can I make it easy for subscribers um, to add more product, therefore increasing your average order value for each renewal? So the alternative option right now is they would have to go log into a customer portal, then they have to like add a product. It's just like a lot of clicks, a lot of like friction. So like the opportunity that we identified was just looking at what Harry's and Dollar Shave Club does. There's a lot of learnings just to look at what the world-class companies are doing. And what we saw them doing is they leverage these upcoming order emails. So basically you send an upcoming order before the charge renews. So like, hey, your order is renewing in three days. And basically we just turned that as like an also also as an opportunity to promote products. So it's like, hey, your order is renewing in three days. You would also like these products. Click here to add 
like whatever X product X product Y is to the next order. Um, so we built an app to achieve that. So basically, it's just an easy way to upsell products to your uh, subscribers without going through a checkout or credit card process. So it takes like two clicks to do so. Uh, and yeah, so that's the app. And we have other features as well because like a lot of people will cancel their subscription from the upcoming order emails. So we just turned it as an opportunity to reduce churn by making it easier for people to delay an order. Um, so like, like I can go deeper, but like long story short, like a lot of people like cancel their subscriptions because they just have too much product. Like these people are still interested in your product, right? So it's just like, right. they just can't figure out how to delay the order. So then it might be counterintuitive, but like if you make it easier for a subscriber to delay their order, it actually improves retention in the long run because like, like, they don't have too much product. <laughs> so like all well, these and they're, and they're still and they're still going to be a customer, right? Like that that's the opportunity. It also it also speaks to like um, this is not so much about the delay, but more so the um, the the shipping confirmation, you know, at, at, with the goal of trying to increase the average order value, like the best time, you know, it's always been this way, the best time to ask for the next sale is when you close the current sale. Like you know, this goes all the way back to you know, McDonald's, do you want, do you want fries with that? And this is an email that's already going out. Like you don't have to worry about none of your customers are going to be pissed off or angry about getting a confirmation email about something shipping. This is a, basically a, a free marketing touch that you can have where you can tell them more about your product. Like I think, I think even beyond revenue, the opportunity is, you know, take your, take your standard shipping confirmation email and, Put you know from put a, put a video in there. Put a picture of you and your team in there. Put a GIF in there. Put put something in there. Like I think all these touch points, when you have a free opportunity to go out and talk to potential customers or existing customers, um, can be huge beyond just beyond just like whatever the stock shipping notification email is that people are going to get. Yeah, hundred percent. Like even the way you interact with emails, like there's a lot of like crappy emails, but like the type of emails that you usually will open are like these order notifications or receipt emails, because like in a way it kind of offers value because like you're getting the information that you want, and like a hundred percent people are opening the emails. Like, how do you make it more valuable? I'm a big uh, I'm a big sneaker person, and I I buy a lot of sneakers off of a website called StockX. And my favorite confirmation that I get from uh, my favorite email that I get from StockX is like when I get the order confirmation that tells me that um, my shoes have shipped. And that's such a delight because it's like, I already bought this thing. I'm feeling real good about it. It's, it's about to come to my house. But there's also an opportunity there, which is like, they could probably, that, that would be the great moment to actually try to sell me something else is when I'm, when I'm thinking about something that I bought and looking back and I'm happy about it. Yeah, 100%. Or even like the first order notification, like the first time a customer gets like an order notification almost has like 90 plus open rates. Like for that one, like sure you could throw in products, but like they just bought something. So like it's a good way to like grow in maybe like a, like an educational ebook or something that will help them like get on board with the product. So it's just like another like, like call to action exposure point that you could leverage. What what would your okay if I was if I was starting a new um, e commerce brand and I, I had a product so let's say I'm selling um, black hoodies I'm selling hoodies online do you have kind of like a recipe you know um, do you have a recipe for like hey here's what your here's what your first purchase email series should be and how do you work in like what's your what's your ideal email series for that and then how do you eventually work in uh, work in cross sell into that uh like. One, personally, like outside of creating maybe like a super easy version 1.0, like if you just started out, like 
just have like an initial baseline for like your core ones, like check out abandonments and like replenishment emails. But personally, I wouldn't spend too much time on it because like the bigger priority is just getting customers into the funnel. Does that kind of make sense? Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So like, I guess to your question, or just like, because like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm more asking, I'm more asking from this angle, right? I think that, I think that here's what's happening, right? If you're, if you're an e-commerce brand and th- this is not at the level of, of maybe sales where Kettle and Fire is at today, but I'm just starting to sell stuff. Like my guess is that most people aren't really thinking about what happens after someone buys. And so I want to know like that, that to me feels like the biggest opportunity because it seems to be the biggest challenge that the, the reason that a lot of e-commerce brands fail is, you know, A, struggling to get first sales, of course, but B, really struggling to drive repeat visitors and so uh, repeat customers. So like, I'm just interested in, in how, how you can really think about email, like what, what the ideal email flow would be like, hey, this person just bought, now what? Yeah, that's a good question. Like for a hoodie, I'm not sure, but like the main thing we tried to do, and this was just from our SaaS background, right? It's like the onboarding. So like the way we approached it for bone broth was like, most people don't even know how to like sip bone broth. Like we realized a lot of the buyers at the time, like it'd either be like their first or second time buying bone broth. And like the most common reason people actually end up not liking bone broth is the taste. Cause like there is kind of like a taste element. So like if, even right now, like our first few emails that we really focus on is like, we were like, okay, step one, try bone broth plain, just so you have an idea of how to like drink it. Step two, try adding in like these spice combinations. So add a little bit of turmeric, add a little bit of cayenne pepper. And step three, so like basically like from their first sip all the way to like maybe their like sixth sip, we kind of like guide them on like like sipping bone broth plainly, adding in a little bit of spices to make it like unique all the way up to like recipes that involve like stock. So we're just trying to like help guide them on how yes. to like use the product. This from, is like, what educational I'm... educational standpoint. This is what I'm talking about because this this is marketing to me, right? It's not all transactional. And I got a great lesson from Val Geisler, who I had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, talking about um, copywriting. And she said, "Look, if you're, you know, the the, the opportunity between um, selling your product online and it actually arriving at somebody's uh, door, you still should keep selling and building your brand during that. And so, if it's going to take two to three days for me to get my shipment from you guys, or however long it takes, like." Instead of just saying like, "Hey, your order's on your way," that's the opportunity to make me love you and get me get get me even more invested. So send me recipes, uh, send me tips, you know, send me famous celebrities who also use this. Like, there's so many opportunities in there to make somebody even a bigger fan. And then, by the way, when they finally get your product and it delivers, you're gonna have them. You have the opportunity to turn them into a super fan on the first order because not only did you sell them something, but you provided an experience and you made them smarter, better, healthier, whatever. And the time it took from, from the order to actually, uh, you know, placing the order to actually showing up at your house. Yeah. hundred percent. Like we actually, uh, Val actually helped us create one of the variations. And like a lot of people, like the thing about consumer physical products versus that is like the equivalent of like active users. Like how do you actually measure, like how do you know if your onboarding is actually working? For SaaS, you can be like, okay, if they did like this action, you can measure every single like activation point. Whereas for like bone broth, how do you know if someone actually drinks the product? Or like, how do you know if your onboarding emails are working? Like the way we did it when we brought on Val to help us like um, do our onboarding is we actually like at the end of the onboarding, we literally just had a quick uh, question. It was like, how, like, um, basically like how helpful was this onboarding process? And like, we just asked them to rate it from like one to 10 as like a type form. And like from that, we could actually see like a huge difference in terms of like how helpful people found like our existing onboarding. 
flow versus like the new onboarding flow and then also like how we can make it better. So like there are ways to kind of like measure onboarding because like a lot of people would be like, oh, like how do you know if this is actually working? Like, like you don't need to measure everything. I'm like of that belief, but like there are some ways you can still get some data points just to know like what onboarding flow is better and how can you make it better. And like the way we did it was just more like a qualitative, just asking customers like which flow they found more useful. Yeah. I love it. Um, is email your number one sales channel today? Uh, it's not like the acquisition channel. It's not our number one. Like re- our recurring revenues is like the main one on a repeat revenue side. And then email uh, fluctuates. Um, we've kind of like reduced our number of campaigns that we launch, but it's up there. Like I wouldn't say it's like our number one, but it's up there. What What's a new, what new stuff? So obviously you... You're, you're, you've kind of like the growth mindset. You're obviously already always thinking about new things and testing new things. Give me, give me a sneak peek into some of the stuff that you're, that you're thinking about or, or excited by what are, what's, what are the new, like if, if it's getting harder to acquire yeah. customers through paid and if content takes forever, what are the new, what, what are some of the stuff in e-commerce marketing that you're excited about? On, on like, this is such a buzzword, but on the channel and like for food, it's like, like uh, retail, right? So grocery stores is like, how do you leverage your online asset to support retail? So like, like I'll just give you one example of a tactic. Like I'll give you a couple of tactics. Like the first one is like, okay, how can we like increase, like how can we leverage our digital skill sets towards like improving offline retail metrics? Like one quick example is like Instacart. Instacart has its own like ad platform that's basically like Google AdWords, exact same process, but like not many people do Instacart ads. And if you think about what a conversion on Instacart looks like, is every conversion on Instacart, someone goes to a retail shelf, they pull the product from the grocery store shelf, therefore you increase retail sales. So like it directly impacts like a retail KPI, but the fundamentals is exactly the same way of how you scale like AdWords. Then if you think about it, Instacart has like a lot of like users. So like in a way they have like their own ad inventory. So that's number one. And then number two is like the main problem with like retail is you don't have any information of the people who buy your product in a grocery store, right? Like it's black box. So like how can you change that? So like what we started doing is we started printing stickers. So like we would put stickers on all our packaging and it's like text cookbook to two nine zero seven one. So like Get like, and like we have a little sticker that just says like get a bone broth cookbook for free text this number and when they text the number they had to put in their email address to get the cookbook and therefore we just solved the attribution from like retail to online because like a lot of people that buy our product in retail stores presumably they're interested in like getting a like a legit cookbook and then that way we just got their information and that way we can start like hopefully getting them to convert and purchase from our DTC asset, which has a much higher uh, margin profile. So it's like, how can you start leveraging grocery stores as even a way to acquire customers for your DTC asset or how to support that. retail? I love that campaign. And, and because like you probably, it's not just like some PDF cookbook. Like my guess is you probably went and invested and made an actual cookbook that's, that's actually valuable, which is why that works. Oh yeah. It's like, like six to six recipes. Awesome. Photos. Well, why did you... Why did you go with uh, Why did you go with text? Why didn't you say email us at whatever as opposed to text? You know, text us at this number and we'll send you the cookbook. Yeah, we haven't tested it yet. We just thought it'd be easier to get. So instead of like a customer having to like pull up their uh, like email 
it's just like how they get the cookbook. So like one, the, otherwise they would have to like maybe do a QR code or email like one of our emails to get it. Or like where would they opt in versus just like pulling up their phone because they're already in the grocery store and they can just like grab it even if they don't buy it. I don't know. We just thought it'd be like an easier customer experience. I, I love it. It feels, it feels, it just, there's something about tech, text us at this number. And does that come from somebody at the company or is it like a generic, like, thanks, we got your, uh, we got you. Is it from somebody? Uh, right now, like we, right now it's automated. So like once we get initial like baseline to understand like what our kind of like response rates are, then we're going to start involving our customer support. But like right now it's really early stages. Do you think you'll do more with, uh, you think you do more with text in the future? Uh, potentially. Like, to stri- just to be straight up honest, like when we think about where we can allocate resources, like we can put it more towards like the DTC asset, which would include like um, SMS and all that. But like a big part of growth right now is like grocery stores and like even Amazon. So like, how can we continue to like support those channels? I do think there's something with SMS. Um, our demographic is like super. <laughs> they're much older, and like we've tried SMS. Like I do think there's something in SMS. Just it's, you're gonna have to figure it out. But like, I mean, there already there already is something. You're you're using it online. You know, basically um, offline to online, which is awesome. Yeah. So like, other than that, like the main way I'm currently thinking about it is potentially for like our subscribers or even for all customers once we scale up that way. But like for everyone that gets like everyone that purchases our product, they can text us and basically it's like a bone broth like chef slash nutrition where we can just like, they can text us any questions. Basically it's more of like a customer. I see it more as like a potential, like, like a customer support play while like we would need people manning it. So like it's less of like an email flow automation play and more like, this is how you can contact us. These are example of questions you can ask us everything from like tips to drink our product to like just general tips. And like potentially we can get like a nutritionist on board to help like answer questions on text. So like, I don't see it as a direct transactional. I mean, I see it more as like a, like an onboarding play. It's interesting. Maybe, maybe not in, in your model. I, I think there's a, we've been talking to a bunch of people we're, and we're rolling out a, a product in the next month or so. It'll probably be out after this podcast where, um, you know, we, we've seen a lot of success by using, using text for, to recover abandoned carts. Like, Hey, um, send, send that text message in that moment because the intent is high. The open rate is, is going to be high. I think it, I think it, you know, we think it has a yeah. huge potential as a, as a sales channel. Um, just given that it's the, it's the quickest path to revenue versus you could send me an email. I might not look at it for days or weeks or hours, but text, I'm going to see right away. Yeah. Yeah. True. Like but we use an it comes down to recover right now. Oh, that's what you use. Uh, for now, for testing, like we're debating bringing it in house, but like live recovery, decent results actually. So Got we it. kind of do like a uh, check out that. But um, yeah, other than that, I'm trying to think. That's mad. Yeah, All like right. Grow.co, they do it really well. You should check them out. Grow.co? Uh, Grove. G R O V E. Yeah, Grove. Yeah. They're okay. SMS check it out. Incorporation is really solid. Let's wrap up with this. I'm in a really hot room. It's sweating and it's Valentine's Day. I'm going to go home and see my kids. If I'm going to go build an e-commerce brand and what are the biggest mistakes that you'd see people most like me make? Number one is like, unless you're like an expert or like you have like the United Economics, like starting off the Facebook ads, um, unless you really know what you're doing and like unique economics of like your product is legit and it's like niche, but like generally speaking, starting off with Facebook ads is going to be a long haul. 
And then I'd say like the second one is just discounting retail, like like grocery stores, especially your food, still the name of the game. So like it's like how do you leverage online to like get into retail sooner than later? And then how you can also help it succeed. I love it. That's that's a new that's a new learning for me. Like I came into this only thinking like it's all online now, but people still go to retail. Trust me, I go to Whole Foods like every day on my way home and there's a million people there. So there is an opportunity. Um, just depends yeah. if you can well, get in there, which seem, which is probably the barrier for most people. That's exactly it. Like I know we're about to wrap things up, but like if you think about like if you're a Whole Foods buyer, you got brand A who has like no online presence and like they're doing nothing on marketing versus you got brand B that is spending a crap ton on marketing just because like it's self like fulfilling, like you're just like self generating profits and whatnot, self sustaining. Like you have such a good like pitch deck to show like this is like how much you're spending on marketing right away you get like be higher than brand A and just like you can show your numbers, you can show that you already achieved traction, you can show that your customers are the same customers as Whole Foods. Right away, you're going to get into Whole Foods. And that's how we got into Whole Foods like almost immediately. Love it. And now it can become an amazing marketing channel. I'm going to go check out Whole Foods on my way home and I can, I'll send you a text message. Yeah. Like honestly, like a grocery store is like a remarketing channel, right? Like they see a Facebook ad, they might not buy because like they aren't ready to buy online. But the next time they're on Whole Foods, they'll be like, oh, I remember seeing this brand or like whatever other digital channels that you use. There's also something to like, if you have a strong marketing presence online and then somebody stumbles across you in Whole Foods, like I think you're like, oh, cool. This brand is legit. Like they're in Whole Foods. I think it something works like that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah. All right, Wilson. Well, thank you for coming on and just and talking uh, marketing and growth and stuff with me on a on a Friday afternoon. I appreciate you doing it, and I rescheduled on you twice because I was sick, and it's this time of year. So I appreciate you doing it. I'm going to continue to follow you, but um, anybody can go and check out uh, Arpu, which is getarpu.com. They can go and check out you on Twitter, Wilson G Hung, and uh, WilsonHung.com is your site. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to continue to follow you and, and uh, you know, especially the, the things that you do in the future with, uh, with Get Arpu. So. Yeah, likewise, man. I'll be following, see what you're up to as well. All right, Wilson, I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the e-commerce marketing show. If you got, I, I, maybe let's try a little reciprocity play here. Um, shout out to Robert Cialdini, which is if you got one valuable thing from this podcast from, from Wilson, do me a favor, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts and just say like, Wilson is awesome. I learned something. I'm going to change how I do my shipping confirmation emails or, or uh, you know, order coming soon. I'm going to change how I do email. Maybe you'll get your product in Whole Foods. There's so many things you can do. Leave us a review. It means a lot uh, and it helps us uh, get more people on the show. So Wilson, I'll talk to you later. Have an awesome weekend and uh, I'll send you a link when this episode goes out. 